if you've been here or uh, listened to any of our podcasts, if you haven't been here, you know, over the past few months, month and a half or so, I've been talking a lot about family, been talking about um, community and family, and as we approach this new year, it's just really in my heart that uh, we are more intentional than we've ever been in being a family and what that looks like, and I want to talk about that a little bit today, and uh, and then an outreach that, <laughs> you know, God's got a sense of humor, John, know that? Just look around the room, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look straight at me. Just look straight at me. God's got a sense of humor. Just look at me. <laughs> I'm proof of it. But, uh, you know, as I was studying this and thinking about family and just the importance that even as family that we don't get so consumed with just what's inside of here and say, well, this is our family, so this is what we need to be concerned about. It's much more than <laughs> really, Mark. What did I say? God has a sense of humor. That's just like the Lord to just prove his point right there. As Keena goes, I'm going to kill him. She's got that fake smile on her face right now that she wanted to hit. It's all good. Thank you, Lord. See how much he loves me? You just see how much he loves me? I said, God's got a sense of humor and Mark, the Dukes of Hazard thing. That's priceless. That ought to be a credit card commercial. That's priceless. Well, I have no idea what I was saying. It's family and outreach. Yes, the God's got a sense of humor, and it's more than just what's inside of our walls. Because if you, if you think about family, it's easy to just start thinking about what's mine and just taking care of what's mine. But that's not what God desires. And, and I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, Lord, you know, even in the natural, if a family just moved out, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to just let you in my world. <laughs> There's a... Uh, Little Caesar's Pizza, I think it is now. My wife just loves it. The guy where they're sitting there on the, on the, phone, on the couch, and it's his wife and the husband. I mean, the wife, the, the, the daughter, the husband, and the son, I think it is. And they're sitting on the couch, and he's trying to order a pizza online. I said, you got to have your credit card and all this other stuff. He said, we're going off the grid. <laughs> it's so stupid. I mean, it really is. My wife goes, huh. It's funny, I call her my wife, Tina. Like, y'all don't know who my wife is. <laughs> anyway, we're going off the grid. And then his wife says something like, well, you can just pick it up. It's ready anytime. We're going on the grid. <laughs> you know, families can't separate themselves from some society. That's not healthy. That's not safe. And, and even as I was looking at that, like I said, I began to look at if a family just pulled themselves away and they just stayed their family, just them, all by themselves, you know, eventually that family would die out. It would die out because it wouldn't be able to bring other people into the family to expand the family. And, uh, you know, as I was, I was thinking about that, and I've talked about us as a church family functioning more like a family, and, and, I, and not just relationally. Uh, because how many of you, and we've said this, family has challenges. Amen. 
we just came out of Christmas and Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you, we had family together who wasn't normally together. And I'll just be totally honest. Family has challenges. I mean, we, we uh, had a great time. We had family staying with us, and we all got along great. But how many of you know when you're used to not having six other people in your house and six other people in your house, there's adjustments that have to be made, right? And it's not always you're just so happy to make those adjustments. You're happy they're there. You love them. You're not wanting them to go away, but you're just like, you know, it's just not like this when it's just us. It's just not like this. And it's so easy that we get so familiar with what it's like just with us that we have no desire to bring others in. Amen. And as I was praying about that, you know, one of the things that just it burdens my heart, and I'm excited about some things that we're doing here to counter this, but one of the things that burdens my heart, if you look at television today, it portrays man and a husband and a father as an idiot. It emasculates a man, and it, it, it makes him to be the idiot in the family or the, the jerk in the family or, or whatever. It makes him out to be this guy that's the end of all the jokes. And as I look at that, and I think, Lord, that's it's so sad, but I don't think it's uh, coincidental. I think it's a direct attack. Because the, the home, as the home, you know, I believe, and we've said this before, but as the home, you can see it in our country. As the home goes, the, the city goes, the, the state goes, the country goes. We see, and it's been said for years, that there's been a breakdown in the homes. And that's, as there's been a breakdown in the home, there's been a breakdown in society. Because God orchestrated that we understand what family is supposed to look like. And as, as I was looking at that, I went back to, so just bear with me. This isn't a marriage lesson, but if we're talking about having family in the church, then we got to know what healthy family looks like. And in healthy family, there is struggle. In healthy family, there is opportunity to grow. That's what's so beautiful about the Lord. He'll put people in our lives that will help us grow. That's how much He loves us. Because if they weren't there, we could get comfortable in certain areas of our life. And I think there are areas in our life that we've gotten comfortable. The Lord says, I want you to get uncomfortable because I want you to go beyond yourself and do something you can't do. I'm convinced that we don't see God move in our lives more than what we do because what we do, we can do. I'll let that marinate a minute. Because what we set our hand to is something that we can accomplish. Because that's where our confidence level is. Other than saying, God, I want to do something that's bigger than me. I want to do something that, God, if you're not in it. I mean, if you look, again, if you look in the Word of God and you see when God showed up, it was when He had to. Not when man demanded Him, but when man had put himself in a place that, God, if you don't do this, it's not going to be done. David with Goliath, right? I mean, David, had, had he done things to prepare himself? Absolutely. He was, he was faithful in the field with his father's sheep and things like that. But David, when he came, he didn't say, because I slew the lion and the bear, I'm going to kill you. He said, no, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. He told the king when he wanted to go stand for the Lord, the Lord delivered a lion and a bear into my hand, right? He didn't go to Goliath and say, I've done all this and I'm going to do it to you. No, he said, the Lord, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he's going to deliver you into my hand. This day, I'll have your head. 
this day. His confidence wasn't in him. You know, depending on different scholars that you read, Goliath could have been anywhere from 9 to 13 foot tall or bigger. And they say David was a very, very godly man, that he was a Rudy short man. (laughs) You know, I've done a study, and I haven't seen a whole lot of big men in stature who ended up well in Scripture. I'm not saying in life. My study. (laughs) Maybe a little one-sided. But I'm confident in it. (laughs) But here's David. And, I I mean, I've thought about that before. I mean, our our ceilings here are probably 12 foot tall. And you figure, I'm I'm 5'7". So David, they say, was probably around 5'5", 5'6", 5'7", somewhere around in there. And you look at that. And he comes out, and, and this is where the guy's head is. Or bigger, right? And he said, I ain't scared of you. I ain't scared of you at all. Because I'm not coming in my name. I'm coming in the name of the one who's greater than you are. And he'll deliver you into my hand today. And I look at that, and I go, man, that's great. I, I, dude... <laughs> You know, when we read the Bible stories, it's amazing to know that they're true. They're not make-believe, they're true. And to think, here's David, he's standing there before Goliath. He, he slings the rock, it buries it in his forehead. Then he goes down, takes his sword, and whacks his head off. You know, that's, we tell, that's our Sunday school stories. <laughs> Josh was selling, and then we're selling shirts at one time, and he had one, and it was a conqueror or something, and it had David... Goliath's head. He's hanging. I'm like, how many murals have you seen on a nursery school? You know, we talk about David and Goliath. <laughs> we got David with his sling and big Goliath there. But how many of you go in and on the wall, there's David, little guy standing with a head this big around, with blood dripping down. Come on. <laughs> people, people want to play Xbox. I'm just saying. We really put the nursery rhymes up on the walls. What would they look like? I mean, Noah in the flood, dead bodies floating everywhere, and Noah's in the boat. How cool is that, right? That would make kids have healthy dreams at night, wouldn't it? <laughs> Go to bed with dead people all around them. They wake up, I see dead people. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to laugh. A merry heart does good like the medicine. Or Mary Hart does good when you're taking medicine. <laughs> is that what it is? Because I want us to look at some scriptures today in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, verse 22, Wives, submit yourself, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be, be to their own husbands in everything. And that's where most men like to stop. Verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to her 
present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he, she should be holy and without blemish. So I said earlier that I, what troubles me in society and in sitcoms and things like that is how it portrays man uh, in the home to, to be an idiot. And we, it's even trying to define what home is supposed to look like and what family is supposed to look like. Shows like Modern Family and things like this. I mean, ABC Family. That's the name of the station, and it's trash. 90% of what's on there is trash. It goes against morals. It goes against uh, integrity and character. It's just trash. I mean, it's amazing to me that stuff that's on there. And, uh, and it's called ABC Family. So for parents who just have their brain in neutral, and they go, well, it's family. It's all good. They're allowing society. They're not even, they're allow, allowing misguided principles to set the foundation in their home. And as I was looking at that, and I talk about the church being a family, and I go, man, we got to know what healthy family really looks like if we're going to talk about we want to be a family. And it says that the husband is to be the head of the wife, the leader, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject be to their husbands in everything. And in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And this is what really, really ministered to me. Because he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. You know what that word just as is? In the Hebrew, I mean in the Greek, that word is kathos or kathos. And it means this, according as, just as, even as. It means in proportion to, in the same degree. It's the exact same word according to that I preached two weeks ago when I talked about that we're supposed to live out of, according to the riches of his glory. You remember that? Well, if not, we're going to read it again in a minute, just in case. Uh, but he said here that husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And he says that we as husbands, we as men, are to love in the same manner, just as, according to, out of the same proportion. You know, not a portion of it, but in same proportion. Does that make sense? In the same proportion that Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He said, and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. So he said here that our headship in the home is equal only in the love that we give that's according to or in the same proportion that Jesus shared his love for us. And see, what, to me, that changes everything. Because my heart's desire is this, as we have healthy homes that know how to love each other outside of here, then we come in here, we'll have love in surplus to give, because the husbands are loving their wives as Christ in the same measure, in the same proportion that Christ loved the church. Listen, so it's not just husbands loving wives, so that way when we come in here, there's husbands and there's fathers that can be fathers to the fatherless. And there's men that can be husbands to the husbandless. Oh, you're not hearing me. 
there's men, that there's, there's women, if it be a single woman who has a need, that the, the men in the church can be like men that love Christ in the same proportion that he does. And he goes, you know what? I am, my home is so healthy. That, not that I as a man go to her house by myself and do, crazy, do something stupid but that we as men can reach out because we're healthy and there's nothing, there's not this preconceived idea that it's not health, it's not good because of what we're looking at out there. Does that make sense to anybody other than me? Because as healthy homes thrive in this environment, as healthy homes thrive, then it affects everyone, not just the ones who are in those healthy homes. Because kids begin to see what it looks like for, for couples who really love each other to be in love. They see what it is for a a woman to really honor a man. And for a man to really love a woman. In the same proportion that Christ loved the church. That just amazes me. Because we we have marvelous opportunities not to love that way. (laughs) I'll let you meditate on that a minute. But because families can be messy, you know, everybody has a personality. And the majority of the time, you know, the old saying, opposites attract. The majority of the time, in marriage, the personalities are different. Right? And that's important to know because we, receive, we give and receive information differently when our personalities are different. But when we understand that as a husband that I'm to love just as in proportion to, in the same proportion that Jesus loved the church. And I live according to his standard. It changes everything. And just like when we really understand the Father's love, how we serve in the church looks totally different. He said here, husbands submit to your husbands. It doesn't mean you become a slave. It means that you go, you know what, I'm coming alongside him. I came out of his side, I'm going to come beside him, and I'm going to serve. That's different. I'm going to come beside him, and I'm going to serve. And as I do, then the love that the Father showed through Jesus that he expressed on the earth will be given to the bride. Man. That looks, looks different than what the world is used to seeing. And that, in itself, I think, changes the whole, it'll change the whole atmosphere inside of a church. So then ministry, real ministry can take place because ministry is coming out of love, not out of necessity to feel needed or not out of uh, service because I feel like I'm getting my identity from what I'm doing. When I serve out of love, when I serve Jesus out of love, I'm not serving him to get, I'm serving because I've been given. And so that's what I'm saying. It, it affects every area of our lives. When we understand and when we function in this love like he's told us to function in, it'll affect how we serve at work. I said serve at work. I didn't say how we work. Because you get paid to do a job, but you can serve above what you get paid to do. <laughs> and we do that as we understand how loved we are. And you know what's so cool about this? As husbands, we're the head of the wife. But in Scripture, we're also called the bride of Christ. So we receive that love. It's cool. You know, Scripture's full of things like that make you scratch your head if you try to wrap it all around in a rational mind. Because it says that we're all sons. 
That's male and female are sons. And that's not talking about gender. It's talking about position. But those same sons are, bri- are the bride. Isn't that awesome? Because it's who Jesus gave his life for. That we could receive that love. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3.14. I, I shared this, uh, <clears throat> I think, briefly a couple of weeks ago when I spoke uh, the message according to. But I want to get back in it for a few minutes. Ephesians 3, verse 14. I want to read through 21. <clears throat> Paul writing, he said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole what? The whole family. How's he view us? He didn't just say the whole group of people who are in relationship with each other. <laughs> I'll, I'll get there in a minute. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So, let me just take a little break here. To, uh, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, what do we have to know? What do we have to be rooted and grounded in? Love. You, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to in the same proportion of the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now this is uh my belief, I think it's scriptural, but this is my belief that what he's talking about in this passage of scripture right here, when he says that <clears throat> he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work on the inside of us, I believe that the essence of where he talks about the riches of his glory up, uh, up in verse 16 is that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. So I believe that the riches of his glory that's revealed in this passage is his love. I think the riches of his glory, the greatest manifestation of God on the earth is who he is, and that's love. I know that's not profound, but when we talk about when we read these passages, and you know what? I've quoted this passage almost every morning for uh, 15 or more years of my life. I read it out. I make it, I've told you, I make it as a declaration over our church every morning. I read Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, 9, Colossians 1, 9. And uh, I make those as declarations over our church. I'll read Psalms 91 out loud. I make declaration because I'm convinced that there's power in the spoken word. We are spoke, we were, we are created, the world that we habitate was created through words. And then God made us in his image. And he, he said for us to use our words wisely. As a matter of fact, this morning in, uh, 
I read a proverb every morning, too. And uh, my proverb this morning was Proverb 18.4. It says, the words of a man's mouth are deep water, a gushing torrent, a fountain of wisdom. And I said, yes, Lord. That we would understand the power of our words. And he said here that according to the riches of his glory, that we're strengthened with might through his spirit in our inner man. What's our inner man? In our spirit man. We're strengthened in our spirit man. We're strengthened in our spirit man according, uh, he says, I would grant you according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love are able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you be filled up with all the fullness of God. So even there, he said, what, what in the same sentence, when he's talking about being filled with all the fullness of God, he's talking about knowing the love of God. Now, here's, we're going to get to First John in just a moment. But what I want us to understand is when we're full of the love of God, it doesn't mean that we become these marshmallow people that just get stepped on and pushed over. You know, as Brianna was, was growing up, because I loved her, there were difficult things we had to talk about. There were hard things that we had to teach her so that she wouldn't make uh, mistakes that friends were making and things like that uh, that were going on around her. You know, it was times that I'm sure she didn't think that, that our love felt like love. You know, like when you whip your kid and they said, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. I wanted to say, well, then let's change positions. I'll whip you and then we'll both feel better. <laughs> But until you're a parent, you don't understand that. Because it did, it would, it would break my heart to have to discipline her. Because she was an, an amazing young lady. But when she was given opportunity to, to do right or do wrong, and she chose to do wrong, because I loved her so much. I, I have a, a friend in ministry, and... Uh, I shared this with some just the other day. I had a friend in ministry, and he, he has a, uh, a church, and there was some children. There was uh, a family in his church, and the children were just very unruly. And uh, he's sometimes a little more direct than I am <laughs> in love. But he, he just looked at the parents, and he says, what do your kids do that made you not love them? And the parent was like... Uh, because first he had said something because the, one of the kids was acting up really bad. And he said, aren't you going to do something with your child? You know, that's not good. Well, I would, but my wife doesn't like it when I do that. That's just in this particular circumstance. So he, he asked the family when they were together, he said, what did your kids do that you don't love them? And they looked at him with this crazy look on their face. He said, because if you love them, the Bible says that those the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects, he directs. So for you not directing and not correcting, what it says to me is you don't love your child. Because you're letting them choose what they think is best, and that leads to death. So he said, what, do you, what did your kids do that you don't love them? I was like, man, that's good. That's good. Because we don't, in a, when we really understand and when we're operating from his love, when we receive his love, and our heart's desire is not to beat our kids, but to lead our kids. There's a difference. 
And because we love them, we don't want them to do the things that we know. We see the way a child is going, and we go, no, the way you're headed, here's what it is. It's death, and I don't want that for you. Because I love you, I'm sharing. I don't want that for you. And as a parent, we have a right to express that kind of love, but it doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy. So what I'm saying is real love isn't a love that just says everything's okay because that's what the world is trying to say. Well, if you really love people, you just accept them how they are and let them stay the way they are. That would be like me knowing that there's somebody shooting up drugs that's going to kill them and go, I love you, man, I hope it's a good high this time. I hope it feels good enough that you forget your kids aren't eating. But I love you, and I'm not going to tell you you should stop. That makes no sense at all. To really love someone means that when we see something that hurts, that we go to them in love and say, because I love you. So when I talk about the love of God and us operating in the love of God, I'm not talking about that we just become these people that just, just lay back and let everybody walk over us because we're just lovers. Are you with me? No, true lovers speak truth when they see things that hurt. Right? Does that make sense to everyone? So when I talk about love, I want us to understand it's not just saying everything's okay. What it's saying is that when I see things that's not okay, I love you enough not to tear you down, not to judge you, but to call out what's really in you. See, I think that's what the New Testament prophetic word is. It's not just uncovering everybody's sin. It's easy to find dirt. It's hard to find gold. And in leadership, when we deal with someone, we don't tell them they're dirt. What we do is we tell them the gold that we see in them. Amen. Because if some, a lot of people can't see what's really inside them, the gold that's in them, because they're so used to the dirt they see when they look. But he's called us in love to speak to the gold that's in us. And as we do, man, life is released. So he said this, that you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you'd be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And I said this, I think that the riches of his glory is his love. Because it says that from the riches of his love that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So let's just put it in perspective. If there's something you're believing God for, if instead of setting your attention on the thing that you're believing God for, set your attention on the God who loves you so much that he held back not his son, even his only son. How will he not with him freely give you all things? Are you with me? I don't care if it's physical, financial, emotional. If you're believing God for something, I want to challenge you to change your focus to the one who loves and see who he really is and how much he really loves and what he was willing to pay for you. Just as an antique, you know what, you know what drives the price of a collectible? It's how rare it is and what someone's willing to pay for it. That's the only two things. That's why it says one man's junk's another man's treasure. You know, antiques are really, all they are is old stuff, right? In case anybody was missing that, antique is just something that's been around for a long time. And it's unique because it's been around for a long time. But don't get me wrong, I love old things like that. I think it's so cool to see something. I was looking on Facebook just the other day, and they found this rifle. 
Anybody see that? And some park that's like 180 years old leaned up against a tree. It was just leaned up against a tree. I'm like, how cool is that? But it looked like the tree. I mean, somebody had to just really be right up on it. 180-some years old. I mean, that's pretty cool. I guarantee they sell it. It'll go for a penny. A bunch of pennies. But what drives the price of a collectible is how unique it is and what someone's willing to pay for it. You know what? We're so unique. There's not one person in the world that has the same thumbprint I do. Especially this one, because I split it when I was a kid. Now it looks kind of like a hiney, because it's split. <laughs> and it hurt bad enough from the split, I didn't want to go get stitches, so they just put a thing on it. You see, isn't that pretty? But anyway, all our, all our fingerprints are unique, right? That's why when you, certain things they do, they fingerprint you, to, for you, because your fingerprint is unique to you. So we've established that we're unique. And the price that someone that was willing to pay for us was his son. Man. On the inside of us, we ought to go, God, I want to know that love really. Not just have a, a mental assent to it that I go, oh yeah, God loves me and God is love. But that I would comprehend that love. Because as we do comprehend that love, we live from a different place. No matter what we're walking through. So when we're believing God for a a thing, whatever that is, if we set our eyes on the one who loves, not on the thing that we need, it changes it. Does that make sense? Because my attention then is not drawn away by what is going on or what isn't going on. My attention is, is consumed with the one who loves me so much that he gave his all. And how will he not freely with Jesus give me all things? So, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to... I want you to bear with me. Because as I said, this love of God is... uh, it's amazing. And I want to read this. Um, I'm going to start in verse 7, 1 John 4, verse 7. I think I, I shared this a couple weeks ago as well. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not uh, lo- know God, say, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. In this, is, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His Son, only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through Him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. That word means payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in his love, and his love has been perfected in us. All right, I can't just keep reading. (laughs) i got to slow down. So here he said, in this, the love of God, verse 9, was manifested toward us. The love of God was manifested toward us. So as we understand that love, 
and we are full of that love. We're rooted and grounded, like Ephesians says, in that love. Then what do we manifest to others? That love. And he says and that God sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world that we might live. And that word live there, it means this, to enjoy real life. That is, to have true life and worthy of the name. Active, blessed, endless in the kingdom. That's what that word life means. That live. That word live means. It means this, to enjoy real life, to have true life and worthy of the name. Active, blessed, endless in the kingdom. You know, there's people who would say you could, physically, you would have to qualify them as alive. Right? You would have to qualify them as alive just because they're breathing, they've got blood pumping through their veins, but they're not living like this verse says we're supposed to be living. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody lives in a mansion. It doesn't mean that everybody has uh, all their bills paid. There aren't ever any demands placed on them. But he said in the midst of all that, when we understand the love that's been shown to us, we can really live. You know why? Because we're not living from things. We're living from relationship of a God who loves us so much that he's supplied. He'll supply all our need according to his riches in glory. It's that riches in glory again. And again, as you think about that, what's greater? Everything in this world, everything in this world passes away. Anything that you connect with with your five senses is going to change and going to pass away. It's our spirit man that lives forever. It's our spirit man that's born again, that can encounter his love right here, right now, not one day when we go away. You know, I'm amazed to... A little commercial here. I'm amazed right now. I don't know what the, the uh, barrage is about people just not liking the ideal, idea that somebody can go to heaven and come back. I mean, it's amazing to me to see the people who are just coming against, no, you can't go to heaven. I mean, I hear it. I've, I've seen it on Facebook, and, I, and I'm not on Facebook that much. It sounds like I am in this message today, but I'm really not. I'm more of a stalker than a Facebooker. I'll cut it on, flip through it, and cut it off. I, I don't do much on there. I just see what's going on and I go. But it's just amazing that, that people, there's such an attack on those who've gone to heaven and come back. I mean, there's some stuff in the Bible they need to tear out. Because there's people that say, you can't do that. You can't go to heaven and come back. Now, here's the, the beauty of the reality of it, right? As many as there are those who've actually been it, there's probably those who haven't. Anywhere there's real, there's going to be an imitation. And if we get caught up on what's real and what's an imitation, then we get in the ditch. I don't, you know, no one can make you get in the ditch. You choose to get there. Amen. They can't make you get in the ditch. Now, you can choose to go there by, by getting in this camp or that camp or whatever. You can choose to get in the ditch, but they can't make you get in the ditch. That's a choice of your will because you lost focus. Are you with me? So I'm just amazed at that because one of the things that's so that I've seen, of the, the ones that I've seen to be authentic, and I'm not, you know, anyway. It's the, thing, the, the theme that ran through every one of them that I saw when people talk about they'd gone to heaven and come back is the love of God that you can't even comprehend. It wasn't the mansions. It wasn't all the people they saw. Some gave testimony of those things, but they just talked about love beyond words. That there isn't in our language ways to articulate what it felt to be in the presence of love. 
And I have some, I haven't been to heaven. I'm seated there right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But to physically go, I haven't been. But I, I do have a testimony of encountering love beyond anything I could wrap my mind around. It was, we, uh, <clears throat> the church that we're involved in, we're, we were doing an outreach. Every week, another lady and myself would go into uh, low-income housing, and we would do a Bible study with the kids. We would lay a blanket out <clears throat> on the ground under, the, under a tree, and we would do a Bible study with the kids, and we would give them little juices or or things like that, and just talk to them about Jesus. And it started out, there was five or six kids, and it grew to be pretty big. We would have 20 or 30 kids that would come in the afternoon when we would go do this Bible study. And so as it grew, we wanted to do an outreach to this community. And it was all, it was a big apartment complex that was government-funded housing. And uh, so we, for about a year, we collected uh, clothing and, and things like that to give away. <clears throat> and we set up this big outreach, and we brought in a, a trailer, a, uh, a flatbed trailer, and we had the faith force there, and they were breaking things, and I had the privilege of preaching the gospel message. And uh, I preached when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captive, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And I got to share and, and and I mean, it was, there was hundreds of people. I don't know, two, three hundred people there. And it was in this apartment complex, at least 200 people. I'm like, man, this is amazing. I had my preach on, you know, and, and we get through, and uh, I come down, and I'm just jacked up because the presence of the Lord is really rich. But you know what? That wasn't when I encountered his love, when I was sharing the message that Jesus loves you, and he's here to set you free. I was down, and uh, <clears throat> the lady that, that I would minister with there, Melanie, uh, there was a guy there, a homeless guy. His name was uh, Mac Daddy. Mac Daddy, he lived under the steps in one of the apartment complexes. Every once in a while, somebody would let him come in. And uh, Mac Daddy came up, and he was, if you ever seen a homeless man, he was the picture of a homeless man. He smelled like he was his bathroom <clears throat> and mixed with liquor because that's what he did. He drank, he wet himself. I'm not sure he didn't do other things uh, to himself. He had old clothes that were too big and old shoes that were worn out. Well, <clears throat> I get through speaking, and I walk up around the other side of the stage, and we're just praying for people and ministering to people. And we, said, we saw God touch people physically and stuff. But <clears throat> I'm standing there, and uh, Melanie brings Mac Daddy up to me. And uh, <clears throat> is it Mac Daddy? Isn't that his name? Big Daddy, Mac Daddy. That's it, Mac Daddy. I didn't even ever thought about that. That's my internet name, Mac Daddy. I have never put those two together. Wow, that's awesome. I'm sorry, that was for me. <clears throat> so Melanie walks up with Mac Daddy, and he's, he's walking, and he's barely standing. And she said, he wants to give his heart to the Lord. So I stand this close to Mac Daddy, and we start talking. And when I first walk up, you smell what you smell. But as I begin to share how much Jesus loved him, I'm, I'm not make-believing. I'm not exaggerating. The, the sweetest smell that my natural senses have ever smelled surrounded me. And I encountered love 
like I've never encountered love in my life. I didn't feel love as an emotion. It was like love settled on top of me. The very pores of my body were just screaming because love was so tangible. And I began to weep and share how much Jesus loved him. And he began to weep and say, I want that love. And strength in my body was almost gone. You couldn't hardly tell who was the drunk, me or him. Because the presence of love was so weighty, it was hard to take a breath. It's almost like, I don't even know how to to describe it, but it was almost like I was being pressed. And I would just... To share with him, and when he accepted the Lord, we prayed, and I hugged him, and he hugged me, and I don't know how long we stood there, but that presence of love, I've only experienced one other time, and it's when we were in the DR. It was our, I don't know if it was our first year or our second year when we were in the DR, and we went down into the this real slum, and we came out, and we prayed for that little lady in that front room. You remember that? We prayed for that little lady. And I was so undone. I, I, I had to leave. I had to go sit on the bus because I had just, I was, I was undone. But it was in, in giving out. And, you know, here's what's amazing. It was more than I thought I had in me. Are you with me? It wasn't like I drummed up love. It was love showed up. And when he showed up, it was, it's beyond words. To be able to, to, to give from a place that you know this isn't me giving. And to be receiving as you're giving. In a way that you can't even wrap your mind around. That's a place that I believe he doesn't want us to go in and out of. I believe that's a place he wants us to live. That where we're so baptized in his love. So overwhelmed by his love. That when we give out, it's not natural human love that's trying to affect an emotion in someone. But it's Him through our spirit touching their spirit and nobody's ever the same. That's the life. When He says to enjoy real life, life, to have life and worthy of the name, active, blessed, and uh, endless in the kingdom, I believe that's the life He wants us to have. And, you know, it comes through just sharing his life, not through us working anything up, but just being so consumed with love, the person love. Let's keep reading. Um, Verse 10, I'll go back to that. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Come on. He said, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, if we do what? If we do signs, wonders, and miracles, if we do, if we, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected, made complete, made whole in us. By this we know 
that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And have, we have seen and testify. <clears throat> you know, that's our part. We see it and we share it. We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. See, that's when the power is released, not just knowing it, but believing it. Because when I believe it, I can give it even though I don't feel it. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. See, here's where the Lord's been giving me downloads. As he is, so are we in the world. I've preached that. If you've been here any time at all, you know I've preached that. As he is, so are we in the world. And many times I connect that with, so we should be doing this, or we should be doing that. And those things aren't wrong. We should be laying hands on the sick, and they recover, because that's what Mark 16 says right? We should be doing all these things, but in the context of what he's saying is, as he is, so are we in the earth. What is he? God is love. And here's what's beautiful about love. Love isn't confined to a thing. It isn't confined to hands laid on people for healing. It isn't confined to a hand out to someone who has a need. It isn't confined to a hand up to someone who's, try, who's struggling but wanting to make a change. It's love. Love, love. And the beauty of love is it'll manifest in the way that it's needed to meet the need at the time. That it's not caught up in this manifestation or that manifestation. It's, it's Him in the earth. It doesn't say that as He... It, it says, as He is... So are we in the earth. Then verse, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, mature love, casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Boy, that's easy, isn't it? That's warm and fuzzy. For he who, do, he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. <laughs> he who loves God must love his brother also. So when I started by saying family isn't just concerned with what's inside the walls, Real family says, I understand the love that's been given to me, and I express that love. So it's not just a hand up receiving from him. It's a hand out giving of that love. And my heart's desire is to create an environment so saturated with love that as people come in who don't know him as love can receive that love. That it's the love here that says that in this passage right here, he talks about repentance. He talks about believing in the him. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. As we operate in that love, 
it'll reach the hurting. It'll reach the broken. Because what we're operating from is the essence of who God is. And so what we're giving out is God. And that'll look different in every situation because I'm convinced that there are people with the physical needs in their life, but what they need is to understand the love of God. And I've seen it happen, that there's people with physical conditions in their body. When they opened up and received the love of God, the physical condition left immediately. Because it's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. And here's what I'm convinced of as well. The more that we receive that love and are willing to give that love out, the more we see him for who he really is. And and the more we'll see him working in and through us. We've talked about this this year is going to be different here because we're going to be more intentional in reaching out. And we've got some some things in the making of, of doing that, not ready to be put out just yet. But it's something that I'm, the Lord put something in my heart back before in, in December about us being intentional in reaching out. And I shared it with some people and said, I want, in our church, and said, I want you to pray about it. And, and uh, they've had some time to pray about it. And I came, we came back together today briefly, and they were like, we're not short on vision. And I said, good, because I'm not, <laughs> because things have developed. You see, man, I'm trying to see. Let me just say this. <clears throat> if it's the Lord that what we're looking at, if it's the Lord, it's much bigger than us. It's much bigger than just what we can do. And it's so cool because there's others who've said, man, if that's the Lord, we want to be a part of it. Other churches in the area who said we want to be a part of it. And it's not that it started here. It was a brainchild of just us talk, sharing. Myself and three or four other pastors just talking. Dreaming with God about touching our city. And not just our city, but starting here and going out. That's what Jesus did. You know, when we look at Jesus, his life wasn't sitting in the church telling everybody to come. It wasn't sitting in the synagogue saying, y'all go get them 12. I've got you 12, so I can sit here and y'all can go get them and bring them in. Did he go in the synagogue and teach? Absolutely, he did. But he did it as he traveled. And what is so cool, Jesus did life with people, predominantly with the 12. But how many of you know it wasn't just 12 that followed him? And if you read the Bible, there were multitudes that, were, that followed him everywhere he went once ministry started. There were, there were lots and lots of people. I mean, you even look on the day of Pentecost. There wasn't 12 in the upper room, Right? So what I'm saying is this. I want us individually to have a pursuit this year to know the love of God. And that's not all I'm going to preach on all year long. But I want us individually to have a pursuit to know the love of God like First John here talks about, that we can live and have real life like he has it. And as he is, so are we in the earth. It, that's love. I mean, I look at Jesus and how he ministered. Blind Bartimaeus, who everybody else told to shut up, Jesus told to come forth. 
the woman with the issue of blood that no one would have anything to do with, because of the law, Jesus stopped for her. The woman caught in the act of adultery, caught in sin, caught in sin, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, I love you so much, just keep doing what you're doing, but I'm not going to stone you today. Did he? No, he said, because I love you, I want you to know that what you're doing leads to death, but today you met life. Now go in life. Huh? See, as we embrace that and we understand that, there'll be stuff that, there'll be love that wells up on the inside of us that causes us to want to reach out because here's my heart. Here's my takeaway. Is that as we understand the Father's love, as we see Jesus for who he really is, then when opportunities come for us to share that love, it's not a thing of how do I. It's just who I am because as he is, so am I in the earth. So what begins to come out of me is him. And I can become all things. Paul said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. That doesn't come by studying people to see who I need to reach. That comes by, by falling deeper in love with him so that when I'm around, I just manifest him. And others go, man, I need to have that. And here's the other thing that love does. When we really see, as we really see how much he loves us, then our eyes aren't on what I can get, but on what I can give. So when there are opportunities to give, when there are opportunities to serve, we're not giving or serving from lack or to gain. We're giving to give. And we're living to give. And I'm telling you, that's what a hungry, hurting world is looking for. And I hear a thousand stories so I think you're alive, but I heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that searching for it.